0: Hello, and welcome to Laid Back Lush. I'm Michael. I am Gabe. And we would like to welcome you to a shorter episode, and thank you so much for sticking with us throughout the couple of longer ones that we had been doing. Couple, several, yeah. mini- yeah. Yeah, we've been doing we've been doing some work here. Uh specifically Gabe has been doing lots of work because he's the one that actually edits these. (laughs) So thank big thank you to Gabe. Thank you so much for doing all the work that you do with your editing. Why thank you. It is greatly appreciated. Um don't listen
1: to the first couple of episodes because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, no, but also listen to the first couple of episodes to, you know, make us feel good. It shows growth. Yes.
0: And if you would like to show your appreciation to Gabe, then please follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Laidback Lush. These segues are getting out of control, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help it. I need well, because, you know. We want, we want, we, we want the followers. We, we if do. We, if we, we do. want to do this, then, uh,
1: we're we filthy shills. Yeah.
0: If we want to continue to do this, then <laughs> yeah, we, we need, we need an audience. Then we know? need an audience yeah. and, and we love doing this. So I hope that you will share with your friends and family. And we really appreciate the audience we do have, not, yeah. not to erase you guys. We absolutely love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, so that being said, we told you what we were going to be doing last week. We are coming in with some. Orange wines. Yes. So, Gabe, you ended up getting us this lovely one from Stinson Vineyards called Correct. Wildcat. Yep. So we are talking about something that we, we both were saying it might be better described as skin contact wine, because we're not Correct. talking about the orange citrus fruit. Yes. That is not what is being turned into wine in this case. Nor the color. Nor the color. Although what we are drinking right now could... could
1: qualify as getting into orange but it's 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 much more on the gold yeah. side of things
0: gold at its darkest maybe a raw sienna um it's not super raw
1: sienna raw sienna raw yes. sienna. if you guys
0: didn't know I do oil painting so i refer to things by by paint names in in any case though it's it's not necessarily the most accurate. I have seen orange wines or skin contact mm-hmm. wines that have gotten to that more orangish yeah. hue. I've even seen them go as far as just looking like straight up rosés. Yeah. Some of them are even
1: still kind of in the like pale lemon
0: category. Yeah. yeah, depending on how long that they have the skin contact for, and also what color the skins are yeah. to begin with. As the name implies, it's just white wines that have their grape skins in contact with the wine yeah. during during the process of fermentation
1: the name orange wine actually came from a british wine importer named david a harvey who he was you know very influential importer uh he kind of coined the term and that's kind of where that came from there is a little bit of a debate so if you aren't familiar with the natural wine movement how do i even try to summarize this um natural wine as like a category tends to be very like anti-interventionist. Some natural wine producers don't even ferment or agent oak because that is viewed as intervention. You're probably more familiar if you do know about natural wines, about the low to no sulfites that yeah. are involved in that. There's some debate as to whether this method is natural wine or not, and part of that comes from the history, which we'll get into here shortly. But just so you're aware, some people will say orange wines are natural. Some people will
0: not. I would love to know the reasoning behind either one of those statements. Because- yeah,
1: well, let's get into it. Let's then. get into, let's get into yeah. the production of, of how these wines are made. So something that I just kind of want to start off with is white wine production does have a common maceration among certain grapes. If you're going for, like, a fuller, richer style of a white wine, you might actually do a short maceration before fermentation on your grape skins. However, this is a whole different beast. This is fermentation on the skins, and then you keep that wine on the skins for an extended period after the fermentation stops. Just like you would a red wine. Yes. So... That is what differentiates this between a kind of like conventional white wine maceration. So everything else is kind of the same. Um, going back to the natural wines argument, a lot of orange wines are left to have the indigenous yeast do the fermentation. This wine actually does have that quality to it. They used a um, native starter. We'll get to that in a second. We have the text sheet that we'll be getting into when we do the tasting. But the fermentation is, you know, kind of commonly among orange wines done with an indigenous yeast, to my knowledge, at least from what I was reading and researching for this episode. So that's kind of an argument for natural wines. But then I do think a lot of these wines will still see some sulfur. So that's where some people will say it's not natural wine. Natural wine will be its whole episode in the future. I'm kind of dreading talking about it, to be honest with you, because it, it can be kind of contentious even among wine professionals, yeah. even as to what it is to begin with. So just, yeah, <laughs> you can look forward to that. You well, can look forward to me being uncomfortable talking about
0: it. It's, it's a very interesting style of, of winemaking because even though it's not new, this is a very old style of winemaking. Mm-hmm. It's new to this generation of wine drinkers, the yeah. generation that has the internet and can talk about it and communicate about it. We have different methods of measuring different compounds within wine and really honing in which characters and profiles that we want. So this is a very interesting topic of debate within the wine world, and people seem torn between enthusiasm yeah and derision oh complete derision i mean <laughs> almost uh cynicism if, yeah if i'm being completely frank about how people have reacted to this
1: let's get a little bit into why this is contentious yeah. so
0: as we just said these wines see
1: very it can range actually I, I shouldn't say very extended aging on the skins it can happen anywhere from a couple of days after the fermentation stops to like upwards of a year A couple months seems to be the average, I guess, for these kinds of wines, these skin contact wines. Now, what that does is it creates a wine that is very unusual to a modern palate. White wines were made in this style uh, up until, oh shoot, I don't remember, but it's been a couple centuries before Mm -hmm. we, I think even the Romans stopped aging on the skins, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I think they started pressing their their wines off the skins. Obviously, it was less um, sophisticated methods they were using today, so there would still be more uh, particulate matter from the skins in that final wine. But, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. But historically, these did come from these wines, these orange wines or skin contact wines, did come from Slovenia. Friuli Venzia Gulia, which is in Italy. And Georgia, the country, not the state, is kind of the big historical place where the, yeah. these wines came from. They were called Amber Wines. There is a Georgian word for it. I cannot hope to pronounce it, so I will not even attempt it. When I read it, I said, all right, we're going to skip over that in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but traditionally, these were aged in amphoras, which are big earthen... Vessels, basically, typically they were made of clay underground and they were just kind of left to sit and ferment for a while. So as you can tell, if you've been listening to our podcast, these extended portions of time in contact with these grape skins are going to be extracting a lot of flavor and tannin. Mm-hmm. This is a really big distinction and probably the most jarring, I would say to the modern palette between this and a standard white wine is the tannin. We are not used to tannins and white wine. Cause no. even if you've had extended like barrel aging on a Chardonnay, yes, yes, some oak tannin has gotten in that wine but it's it's negligible at best it's mostly
0: going to express itself as that vanilla Mm -hmm. the creamy yeah you know it's it's not going to have the type of structure that you would find in a Mm -hmm. in a red wine yeah but these wines
1: have the grape tannin it's going to be grippy yes so again kind of going back to why that can be contentious these wines because of the skin contact can pick up Some pretty wild flavors. Some of the more uh, controversial (laughs) orange wines I've heard of, I guess I'll say that, have been compared to like sour beers. Yeah. So you can get notes of like persimmon. You can get some notes of kind of your more, I don't want to mislead you, but kind of fruits that are orange, like persimmons or kumquats or that kind of stuff. On more restrained wines, you can kind of start to get that profile. I
0: know with Pinot Grigio, you're starting to get into more nutty flavors as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, you can get nutty flavors, which is where I've seen this style of winemaking really shine. Yeah, uh,
1: I know there's a lot of experimentation going on in Northern Italy right now with Pinot Grigio and doing these skin contact wines,
0: which they end up looking like rosés
1: because Pinot Grigio wine skins are pink. Yeah, so yep, you know these these wines can we can get into those flavors, right? I would say those are kind of desirable probably among a large portion of wine drinkers. When you start getting into very extensively aged ones or if the yeast are kind of funky, you can start getting into like acetone, even like nail polish remover kind of smells, paint thinner, very harsh. And that's kind of why I think people will compare them to like a sour beer because sour beers can kind of have a similar almost chemically smell which i actually kind of like in a sour beer i'm not gonna lie i can appreciate it in an orange wine but a common criticism is it's too much and it's out
0: of control yeah which goes against the more restrained refined profile that people typically go for in white wines they want it to have subtle hints of tangerine stone Mm -hmm. fruit they want it to be able to go between subtle hints of spice, they're not really looking for something that's going to overpower your mouth with extreme sour flavors. Mm -hmm. So I can understand why this goes against even just flavor theory for a lot of wine drinkers. Yeah,
1: you'll pick up on a lot of things that you are not used to drinking in a white wine in a skin contact white. And uh, I, I did forget to mention the vessels that these are fermented and aged in can vary a lot. Everything from concrete eggs to oak barrels are used by producers. The impression I got in reading up on this is it kind of seems to be that inert vessels tend to be more commonly used, so not oak. So like these concrete eggs or ceramic tanks or stainless steel, things that aren't really going to allow a whole lot of oxygen interplay. But again, some producers do opt for oak, and that will produce even more complexity to the nose of that wine. So I think that kind of covers everything that we wanted to talk about for orange wine, unless you had anything else for the production. If you pick nothing else up from this episode, just kind of think it's a white wine that's made like a red wine. Yeah,
0: that's that's basically the long and short of it. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that because there's really nothing to be added. Yeah. Which is why I'm enthusiastic about the style, because I like the idea of Mm -hmm. extracting flavors and pigments. I've heard it said that you are masking the flavor of the white wine, and I can understand the theory behind that. Yeah,
1: we we kind of wanted to save most of the discussion kind of for the end of the episode. So before we really dive into that, let's get into what we're tasting right now. As you said, it's the 2018 Wildcat from Stinson Vineyards, a Virginia producer, a very good Virginia producer. They have won many governor's awards, many competition medals. They're very quaint. They are at a house, like a literal house. They repurposed their garage into a winemaking facility. So if you go in the back way, you literally go into their driveway to get to the winery, but they make incredible wine. I've only been there twice, but each time I have liked pretty much every single wine that I've tried. They actually got me to buy rosé, which is very uncommon. (laughs) When you do like a rosé, you
0: really like a rosé.
1: So 2018, kind of for context, was a really bad year for Virginia. We had 72 inches of rain. I think on average we get like 56 or something like that, or 65 maybe. I'm mixing numbers up here. But much less than 72 inches of rain. And people's grapes got waterlogged that year. A lot of people did switch to making rosé from their red grapes because they were not suitable for red wine because they were just too watered down. These grapes actually did not come from Stinson's vineyards. They came from Horton vineyards. If you're in Virginia, you're probably familiar with Horton. Horton, he was kind of one of the first people to start growing grapes in Virginia, and he experimented a lot. He kind of just planted everything. So he has a block in his original vineyard planting, apparently. That is Arcat's Telly, which is the grape in this wine. This grape is pretty tolerant to cold. It is late budding. So it's good for frost-prone portions of the vineyard, which this portion of the vineyard that it's being grown in is frost-prone. Mm. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's just in a cold air pocket in that particular vineyard. So he planted this there to be able to have grapes to grow in that little area.
0: Good use of uh, of your terroir knowledge.
1: Yes, very smart. This grape actually comes from Georgia.
0: Kind of circling back to... Okay, so this actually has some historical significance to it. Yeah,
1: going back to Georgia being where these wines even came from in the first place. So Arkat's Telly is the most planted, at least white grape. I believe it is the most planted grape in the country to this day. Oh, It kind of always has been. Uh, There's actually a very interesting story about Arkat's Telly as a grape in terms of the Soviet Union and it being utilized because it's a very high-yielding grape and some of the ramifications that now like Austria and hunger having to deal with in their wines but that's probably its own episode um the very interesting stuff wine for normal people actually did a very interesting interview with a Austrian wine producer i want to believe that really went into this and i would highly recommend that episode i'm sorry i cannot tell you off the top of my head which episode title that was but they did do one so if you want to learn more about it listen to that episode it was a really good interview
0: yeah i really like them
1: anyway going back to georgia so this grape is originally from georgia most popular white grape in the country It's desirable because it's very good at maintaining its acid and its sugar levels, Mm. even if you extend the ripening period on it. So you can do late harvest wines with this grape. It also, this wine can lack, or this grape, sorry, can lack complexity, and so it kind of gets a knock there. But it is it is used for kind of a variety of styles of wine in... Kind of the Eastern Europe area. I would
0: imagine some of that complexity would be added to through this Mm -hmm. skin maceration process. And
1: that's kind of, it is being used a lot in these skin contact whites. And so that helps a lot. That does come into play and why this grape is being chosen for this. So going back to Stinson and how they made this wine, this is technically speaking a blend, not legally speaking, but it is 99.5% Arcat's Telly. It is 0.5% Petite Mansang. You only uh, need
0: a little bit, though.
1: Yeah, Petite Mansang has a lot of character. I am assuming that both of these were probably fermented together and left on the skins, because again, this is a skin contact white. There are only 75 cases of this made, and I am looking for... Oh yes, it it did have a wild yeast starter.
0: Yeah, I was about to say even just from briefly smelling this, I'm not sure how much of this is coming from the grape skins themselves, but this definitely has a wild yeast character to yeah. it. Very sour, almost Very like a sour. Gosa. Yeah. Um almost like almost like it was it starting... with brett.
1: Yeah, I was about to say we're starting to get into some barnyardy character on this wine.
0: I would say like if you kept uh, dried dried blood oranges in a barnyard uh yeah well i was actually literally just gonna say
1: imagine like a fruit farm that's also a petting zoo um <laughs> n- not
0: not in like, a bad way you no know.
1: not in a bad way but like you know they have they have some livestock maybe you know a couple of acres over and you know you can kind of get a whiff of that uh, animalic of, touch you know a little musky yeah uh again very restrained not overpowering the fruit though This is where I would start to say, again, not to confuse anyone, but I do get some pretty prominent citrus. I would go more like red grapefruit rather than orange, but I can see, I
0: could see someone calling orange on this wine. I I wanted to say grapefruit, but there's just something that is so remarkably bright about it. It seems brighter Mm. than a grapefruit to me. Yeah. I see it there. Yeah. I mean, there is also some lemon. There's
1: kind of like a kumquat flavor. Mm Mm-hmm. I would say some very, very, very ripe yellow peaches. Yeah, like on the verge of turning. I would even say they're starting to desiccate a little Mm -hmm. bit. Like Like you you
0: bruised a peach, then you let it ripen, then you forgot about it. Bruised. Thank you for saying
1: that. So that is a very hallmark characteristic of particularly more restrained styles of these wines is oxidized apples oxidized pears like you've kind of left it on your counter for a couple of hours which when you think about how these wines are made that makes perfect sense because they are exposed to a decent amount of oxygen while they are fermenting a lot of them are done in open top containers and i imagine that would affect the
0: color some but not yes. nearly yeah. as much as just the grape skin contact Correct. itself. yeah
1: So that bruised character to fruit is very prominent in this style of wine, just in general. So that's something else to look for. And I would say that that's here. I would definitely say that that's here.
0: I would also say passion fruit, but not as fresh. I can definitely see that. All right, let me actually taste this because I'm really looking forward to seeing what sort of tannic structure that this has.
1: We, uh, We actually had to pause for a second and Michael's roommate was able to try this wine. And it took him three
0: sips, but he finally landed on liking it. So that should tell you some things about what you're in for as far as this experience is. You're not going to yeah. know what hit you. Yes, I know what this wine
1: tastes like, and I purposefully told Michael, don't try this before you do the tasting, because I am very interested to see what your reaction is. I know when I tried this wine, I tried this wine at the vineyard on my birthday trip. I did go out to uh, Stinson, and kind of fell in love with it but also was so intrigued by it that i knew i had to get a bottle and uh we had to do an episode on orange
0: wine where i let you try this wine yeah. <laughs> because
1: i was very curious what your thoughts would be on this
0: surprisingly because i've been spelling this since we started recording it's actually opening up mm-hmm. i should have presumed that it was going to open up because of the amount of tannins inside of it but i'm starting to get like orange dreamsicle off of this um I've also been would, swirling mine a lot, I would hesitate on the dream sickle
1: part. I get where you're going to me. there's kind of a a marzipan character, like a mm. sweet almondy character. The only reason I would hesitate to use orange dream sickle is because that implies kind of a sweetness that yeah this is dry. isn't isn't
0: um it's not present, yeah yeah no this is this is a dry wine, but as far as that aroma where I can kind of i'm I'm starting to get a little bit of a creaminess to the orange aroma. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me actually think, try this. I think some of that creaminess
1: is coming from the oxidized character of the wine. I think it's kind of mellowed a lot of these things
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I really like this. Oh, okay. All right. It doesn't have as much of a sour character as the aroma was suggesting. It's there. It's there, but it's actually, it's really smooth. This is a wine
1: where we are starting to get into
0: some kind of acetone character. Yeah, but it's not over... Like, I can get it, especially on the retronasal.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not paint thinner. It's not nail polish remover. Don't... It's not... I would not call it a flaw. I would not consider that to be a flaw on this yeah. wine. Some people might. I would not. But that kind of chemically lift yeah. is there. Again, not out of balance. I think it actually really accentuates the fruit flavors, because the fruit flavors are kind of tart on the palate. They're not quite as... um. They are still a little bit bruised, but they're they're more tart than you would expect from the nose, I think, and it kind of helps accentuate that, in my opinion. This is also, again, just from how these wines are made,
0: much fuller body than your standard white wine. I love the way that this rests on the palate. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the way that this is allowing those fruit notes in order to just kind of stay there. But again, you still have these fruit notes being very bruised. Mm-hmm. The acetone... On the retro nasal in particular, it almost gives it kind of like a cocktail vibe. Like, yeah.
1: I th- yeah. I, I like that description.
0: Yeah. Kind of like
1: a gin almost. Yeah. Gin cocktail. Gin. Uh, Let I go. would even,
0: I wouldn't go as far as to say Campari, but
1: no, that, that's a little too overpowering. I think. Yeah.
0: That's, that's a very strong orange flavor. Yeah. This doesn't quite get there, but this, it kind of just tastes like a really well made citrusy cocktail. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason why I
1: wanted to do this wine for this episode is to show that you can have these very expressive styles of this wine and still have them be restrained and well-made. This is kind of where we are going to get into our personal opinions on the subject, uh, because we differ a little bit. I think we kind of arrived at the same place because we kind of briefly discussed this earlier, but I decided this is actually really a conversation. We should save this for the podcast. For me personally, I see both sides of the people that really love this style of wine and the people that really hate it. Admittedly, for me, this is not the first style of skin contact white wines that I have had. I actually did a seminar through work on skin contact white wines, and obviously my boss is not going to pick bad wines for that. So I will say my opinion is biased because I've only really had skin contact white wines that I have enjoyed. However, reading the descriptions of some of these wines and given my knowledge of winemaking, what happens in winemaking... And seeing how long some of these are going. Because they're going even longer than even red wines in in certain producers and Uh how they're making them. Yeah, that that seems excessive. And when you do have a wine that smells like nail polish remover, I don't see the point and I don't see why that needs to exist. Mm -hmm. I get experimentation. I get exploring new styles. But and this is a point that a lot of people will make when it comes to these wines is we stopped doing this style of wine for a reason like there's a reason for centuries now we have been pressing the juice of white wines off the grape skins i don't fully agree with that but i get the line of thinking and i i agree that there is a consensus on certain styles being considered quality styles for a reason and i think these skin contact wines, because the resurfacing and them being new, and a lot of the regions making these skin contact wines. Now Georgia never really stopped; they, they have continued to make it kind of throughout their whole history of winemaking. Well, and considering the grape that they have, it
0: makes sense. If, yeah, if
1: you can get notes like
0: this, yeah, this is lovely. Mm-hmm.
1: So there, there is definitely an argument for that. But a lot of newer regions in the New World, and even in like we said, Northern Italy and whatnot, are experimenting and experimentation can sometimes go too far we were briefly discussing the ipa craze of richmond yeah that happened a couple years back and i i think this is a very comparable situation where there's really good ipas there are ipas that i i genuinely really like and there are ipas that i i literally there's actually one sitting on the table right now fun fact that i take one sip of and i'm like this is disgusting get it away from me i can't stand it it's too much which
0: Which I understand that as far as a taste preference. Yeah. I happen to really love IPAs, and I love the idea of experimentation. I hear the opinion that there's a reason why we don't make this style anymore. Mm -hmm. But I also know through, through study of history that sometimes those reasons are more to do with people's Sympathies and, and the way that culture is going. Now Mm -hmm. we actually have the opportunity with new technology to explore where this style can go with modern day drinkers. But, and this is where you and I start to really intersect in our opinion. At the point where you don't have a goal for what you're doing, you're just going as far as you can in the style. Just to see if you can. Just to see if you can. There's a value to that in that you can see how far something or what the extremity of a thing is, but without actually having a goal, you don't have a craft. Mm-hmm. A craft has a vision in mind. And throughout the process, you are discovering how different practices are going to affect that eventual profile, that eventual craft. Yeah. So with a wine like this, very well balanced. The aroma is very unique. I am, you know, absolutely loving what they're able to create, but when you have something that's a fad and people are drinking it and they're saying that they like it simply because it's popular, yeah, to like at the time, and it's a little ridiculous. It hurts the industry.
1: Orange wine also did admittedly kind of come from the hipster sect of the wine world, particularly sommeliers who and, and I'm sympathetic to a degree because if you're a sommelier and you're serving the same style of red blends over and over again like you want something new you, you want to, you shake want to it branch out. out but sommeliers kind of seem to be responsible for a large part of the the drive behind these wines and i do think there were some missteps taken in over hyping orange wine mm-hmm. and trying to kind of get people that just are never going to like these wines. so my this father, is a niche wine my father perfect example my father was with me on that trip he tried this And I think he wanted to spit it out, but didn't want to be rude. Like, he did not. He did not like this wine. My dad likes highly fruit-driven, sweet white wine. That's his palate. That's what he likes. This is so
0: not that on any level. And I wouldn't even say that orange wine is going to be the next big thing, because when it comes straight down to it, if you put a champagne in front of me that's a Blanc de Noir, and you ask me which one I'm going to want to drink, or even if it's just a really well-made... Uh, chanon blanc mm-hmm. i'm probably going to go for that i'm probably going to yeah. go for the riesling instead at the same time though this is delicious and if yeah. i had friends who are beer drinkers who i want to kind of introduce something to yeah I, this is this is actually a wonderful cross-section mm-hmm. of your your sour beer drinkers and your cocktail crowd and your wine drinkers i think that this is a a wonderful wine for that but it's not going to be the next big thing
1: yeah and i think there's also on the other hand of what i was saying though of like yes there were kind of hipsters that were i guess maybe pushing these wines more than they should be pushed on the general populace
0: more than likely also as
1: publicity stunts yeah you also and this is Probably my biggest gripe with the industry as a whole is the taste of the entire industry this this is I think starting to shift a little bit, but it's historically been driven by a very small portion of critics and and writers and and wine journalists rather than how do I put this i sometimes i question i'll say it this way i'm I trying to be polite i sometimes I question where the market tastes are coming from are they coming from the consumer or are they
0: coming from the reviewers, yeah, and I'll if they're coming from the reviewers then what exactly is going into that opinion
1: yeah and so there are reviewers that like orange wine and there are reviewers that really detest orange wine and i i noticed that dichotomy when i was doing research for this people really do seem to either love it or hate it yeah
0: there is no in between
1: yeah i will say overall i like it the ones that i tried again they were more restrained than this one the ones i tried for that seminar they were much more restrained than this one actually But they were still unique and they were refreshing because sometimes I do get kind of bored, admittedly, of the standard white wine formula. And so it is cool to come across these wines that are more experimental and stuff. And I I do want to see more experimentation. But again, you have to know your limits Mm -hmm. and you have to recognize that some wines just taste bad. And if your wine tastes like nail polish remover, it tastes bad. Like, don't don't try and push it on me just because it's an orange wine and and it's a trendy thing. Or it's countercultural. It's a know. failed experiment, yeah, and that's exactly. okay.
0: Yeah. We learn from such things. I like the fact that the industry is experimenting. I don't like the fact that you you will have some people who encourage people to drink products that are just subpar, yeah. and they try to present it as being niche. And I can see specifically how that would really get on anyone's nerves. Mm-hmm. When you have something that is improperly made, being pushed as just a niche taste that you're not educated enough yeah. to enjoy. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. just because your taste bad is niche doesn't mean it's not also bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, not to be, I'm not trying to call anyone in particular out here, that's just a general truth.
0: Yeah, and also you shouldn't make people feel inferior because of what they enjoy or don't enjoy, especially if the fact that they don't enjoy your product is actually substantiated by general consensus.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and i do think kind of shifting a little bit and looking forward i would like to see kind of a consensus on style made about this wine so that way we can have more i would say rational discussions around it yeah without the hyperbole of either it's the best wine in the world or it's, it really or it's the coming seem... of beelzebub yeah
0: you know? it, it re- <laughs> it's, it's the coming of the lord of the flies my <laughs> lord uh I would like to see a lot less emotion thrown around because again, the amount of cynicism that I've heard surrounding this style of wine. Yeah. It's just surprising to me Mm -hmm. that, that people are this emotionally invested in, in a wine style. I mean, wine drinkers are a passionate bunch of people. I I mean, if you're, if you're still a wine drinker in 2021, I mean, you actually are in a, in a growing minority, but yeah, we're trying to remedy that. We're, we're, we're hoping to. There's such a beautiful world. I would love to see more things done with this. I have heard that terroir isn't particularly well expressed through this style. I would argue that there's a chance, though, to to see that reversed. (sighs) That,
1: yeah, again, I think that's an intersection of several things. One being, as we discussed in the terroir episode, that can be kind of a nebulous term depending on who's using it sometimes. I would kind of argue in favor of that criticism in that Yes, you're technically expressing more of the grape character, but when the more subtle elements of the terroir are being masked by just this really intense extraction method, I do kind of agree with it. The more restrained styles, I wouldn't say that about, but the longer the age goes on, the more it is kind of like... You're not really focusing on making the best with what the earth gave you for that grape. You're kind of more focusing on making that grape taste as intense as possible.
0: And I I see your point there. But there's also there are certain practices that are done like in France where they they'll plant lavender fields Mm -hmm. right next to their red grapes in order to allow the aroma of the lavender in order to penetrate the skins, which then ends up becoming part of the wine itself. But is that being done for these wines Oh, no, I don't, I don't think it is, but that's my point. I would love to see that being done for these types of wines. So yeah. you could actually get subtle characters introduced. Mm-hmm. And that would also express terroir. I yeah. mean, like you're not going to get it from, uh, from Virginia as much because we, we don't really have a wine region that is close to the coast. But what about something that had more of a, a, a salinic profile because it's closer to uh maritime breezes well i mean terroir can expand past that as well
1: like you can get certain kind of uh, earthy characters earthy characters like uh, a pinot noir Noir from burgundy and mushroom yeah that that is a hallmark of burgundy pinot noir precisely you're gonna pay a lot more for it for for that reason yeah (laughs) which uh you know shout out to
0: burgundy (laughs) for making amazing pinot noir
1: I think at the end of the day, we do agree this is a style we want to see explored more and yeah. and developed. And I want
0: the palette that is generally being talked about to be also developed because these are, this is a completely different group of flavors. Yeah. I, and I think that's kind of my, one of my criticisms of
1: critiquing skin contact whites just on the whole is they're being made in so many different places by so many different people and they can vary so widely that it's like, how do you discuss this? In the same way that you discuss Pinot Noir, I don't think you should.
0: No, you can't. Um,
1: Because if you're using different grapes, if you're using different lengths of time, if you're using all these different things, which, like, obviously within the realm of just Pinot Noir, there's, you know, Oregon, Washington, Burgundy, Chile, and and how these regions tend to do it. But, like, there's kind of a great consensus upon, like, how you judge a Pinot Noir.
0: I don't think that's really there for these wines yet. There's not an established vocabulary or metric surrounding orange wines. And I'm very curious to see that developed. I would really like that. Yeah. And I think that's when we're going to start seeing less of the emotionally involved discussions and more just an honest critique of these types of wines. Because at that point... People will know, okay, so what sort of things do we look for Mm -hmm. from this type of wine? What sort of things do we look for from this particular style with this amount of aging? Mm -hmm. What were they able to get out of it? Is it something that is uh, indicative of, you know, proper wine practices, proper wine making techniques? Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing that. I think that that's, that's the way that it should head. I hope that it heads in that direction. And I hope that people take on the discussion in a mature way because This is lovely, and if I can see more of this, I want to. I agree. Uh, Again, this is the Wildcat from Stinson Vineyards, Mm -hmm. so definitely give them a check. We are going to continue enjoying this lovely Skin Contact White Wine, yes, which they need to develop a much more concise name for, because that's a (laughs) mouthful. Yeah. But thank you so much again for joining us. Hopefully you've enjoyed this little opinion piece that we both have had mm-hmm. and have enjoyed hearing about orange wines. Please give us a follow at Lush on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a shout out or a DM. Let us know what you would like to hear from us or if there's anything that you have had along the lines of an orange wine that you recommend to us. As always, I have been Michael. I have been Gabe.
1: Cheers. Cheers.